Good morning, Bridgeway. It's an honor to be with you. Um, recently, someone asked me, they said, hey, see, besides Jesus, um, who is the person in the scriptures that just inspires you? I said, ah, oh, that's pretty easy. It's, it's Ananias, not the one who stole money from the church. That's a bad dude. But, but this other guy, he, he's only mentioned less than a dozen times in scripture. But I think that there's something about him that I just connect with. And I'm hoping that today as we dive into God's word, that you might see yourself in this man's story. That you might see what God can do, what God wants to do, what God hopes to do in and through you. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible underneath the seat of the person in front of you, which is weird. Chapter 9, verse 10, it says this, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Now, Damascus is 150 miles from Jerusalem. So 150 miles from Jerusalem, there is a disciple, or in Hebrew, a Talmudim, a student. Now, to be a disciple, you needed to have a rabbi. And a disciple was someone who wanted to be more and more like their rabbi. To be a Talmudim or a disciple, you were someone who had high desire and high devotion to be like your rabbi. And Ananias, we know, is a disciple of Jesus. He wants to be more and more like his rabbi. And 150 miles from Jerusalem, from where the temple is, something happens. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. I love this. You got this, this moment where this disciple has this encounter where he gets this vision from God and God's like, Ananias. And he simply says, yes, Lord. Can I just tell you that I believe that the supernatural activity of God begins when you say yes. And God is here. You flip through the scriptures and God is present. And if God is present, that means that every moment, every environment is brimming with redemptive potential. And God actually chooses to use people like you and me. God is stirring. God is prompting. God is whispering. God is trying to get the attention of his people because he wants to use you when God whispers. Will you say yes? Will you say yes? Back to the scriptures, verse 11. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. See, sometimes when we get these promptings or these whispers from God, and then we say, yes, God's going to give us some direction, an invitation, something to do. And for Ananias, he's like, okay, here's what I need you to do. I want you to go downtown, go on Straight Street. I want you to go to the house of Judas. And there's a guy by the name of Saul from Tarsus. We'll talk about him in a second. But he, he's there. I need you to go see him. I remember a number of years ago, I was in Bujumbura, Burundi, capital city of Burundi. We had raised a ton of money, and what we were doing is going to finance and fund some female entrepreneurs, and they were going to start businesses, and they were going to bless their family and bless their city and bless the kingdom. The problem was that there were three government officials who weren't giving us the clearance or permission to take all of these resources and get it to these women. And so I fly out to Bujumbura. There's a 
super late at night. The next morning I wake up, there's a, a boardroom filled with eight of us. I got a marketplace leader who's leading this meeting. And he's trying to have us share our best idea to get these three government officials to tell, to give us permission to get these funds. But truth be told, there was no good ideas. And this was a great leader. He was such a great leader that he said, I'm not wasting any more time. I'm basically dismissing all of you. It's 1045 in the morning. And he goes, I'm going to give you the rest of the day. But at dinner time, 6 p.m., you all better show up with one good idea. These women, the city, the kingdom is dependent on it. So I pack up my notebook, get on my backpack. I'm walking with another guy. I say, what are you going to do? He's like, I'm going back to the hotel to take a nap. And I was like, God speaks through dreams. Good idea. <laughs> I go into my hotel room. I, I sit down and, and I have this sense that God's like, go for a run. I'm like, what? So I put on some basketball shorts. And I just, the strong sense, go for a run. I showed up to Bujumbura super late. I don't, I don't know this city. I'd never been there before. I start running. I'm passing UN vehicles, kind of bizarre. And I'm just running right, left, just running, just kind of checking out the downtown area. And I come to this park that's at like the center of the center of Bujumbura. And inside this park, there's a basketball court. And there's about 500 people around this basketball court watching this five-on-five -five game. And so I just run up to it and just start standing, kind of scouting and watching. And I'm not there more than 90 seconds when a guy walks up to me and he pokes me. And he goes, you good? And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm all right. He goes, no, 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 you good in basketball. I'm like, yeah, man, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. He goes, no, 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 if I choose you, do we win? So I, I'm sitting here, I'm like, man, well, and, and you got to know this. I played basketball at Cal State Fullerton, uh, D1 school. And, and, and let's just be really clear. I, I, I didn't actually play. I sat on the bench, but I did get free shoes. And so I know how to scout. All right. And so I'm sitting here, I'm watching. This guy asked me an honest question. If I choose you, do we win? And I just said, hey, I, I feel like if, if you choose me, we'll do okay. We'll do okay. He goes, okay. Hey, you, you're out. You're in. I'm like, What? Who is this guy? So I start stretching. I kid you not, for the next 90 minutes, we go 6-0. They bring us a basket filled of Burundi dollars. I didn't know I joined the Burundi Basketball Association. <laughs> but I did add that to my LinkedIn account. <laughs> so I, I'm like holding this basket. The guy walks to me and goes, hey, hey, tomorrow, championship game. Be here, same time. And I'm like, I, 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 I got meetings, man. He's like, with who? I'm like, oh, we raise all this money. We're trying to get it to these women. There's these three government officials. They've not given us permission or clearance. He goes, what are their names? I rattle off all three of their names. And he goes, I'm the second one. I'm like, check your email, bro. He goes, yeah, I got a deal for you. You win game, I take meeting. So have you ever had to return to a meeting where you knew the one answer? <laughs> and you're like, I don't have the mercy gift, but I'm going to sit down and act like I know. And so I'm just, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. We should, like, show up super early. Maybe we catch them going into work. Okay, that's, uh, that's a good idea. Finally, it comes to me, Carter, what's your idea? And I just said, I don't know very much. But what I do know is that God is here. They're like, yeah, yeah. And I know the Bible is inspired and, and it's real and it's powerful. They're like, yeah, yeah. And I know from the bottom of my heart that God's favorite sport is the game of basketball. 
they're like, what? And so I start kind of sharing. And they're like, the guy leading the meeting goes, hey, if you need to go and, and like go to bed now, you need to order room service, you need a massage, you do whatever it takes, win that game. <laughs> we win the game, the meeting like happens, the, the resources go to these women. Why do I tell you that story? Because it's so bizarre. <laughs> and it's only God. It's only God. And, I, and, and here's the thing. There are these stories that God has for you, but it starts when you say yes. See, oftentimes we're walking into to restaurants or Starbucks and our heads are down on our phone, checking Instagram, adding another filter. It ain't going to help you, but it, like we keep adding the filter. We keep adding the filter, keep changing it. Right. And what we're missing is what God wants to do in and through us. We're talking forehead to forehead to people, phone to phone, forehead to forehead. Yep. We're missing what God wants to do. And so God tells in an ice, man, I just need you to go to downtown Damascus, straight street, Judas's house. There's a guy there. I need you. And then look what he says. Verse 12, in a vision, God's still speaking. He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. This is how much trust God has in you. He actually gave Saul a vision that Ananias was going to show up. And sometimes we don't even have that level of trust. And God's like, man, I gave Saul this vision that you were going to show up. Have you ever had one of those moments? God's whispered or prompted you and you're like, yes, Lord. And then he kind of gave you a little bit of a vision of what you could be a part of. And then you're like, whoa, whoa, maybe, maybe not, maybe not. I have a buddy, his name's Jose. He's a car salesman outside of Chicago. He works for Nissan. And if they sold eight cars in one day, the last day of the month of November, they would break every Nissan dealer record for the amount of cars sold in a month. And the GM calls all of the, the, the salespeople together and starts to kind of give them the spiel, like, we can do this. Come on, guys. We can do this. You do this. You get bonuses. And in this moment, Jose has a vision from God. He has this sense that he knows that his general manager is going to ask him, how many cars do you plan to sell today? And he senses God tell him, when you get asked that, Tell him that you will sell four cars, and if you sell four cars, then he has to come with you to one of your Christmas Eve services at your church. And Jose's like, what? And all of a sudden, he's just standing there going, is this God? Like, what? And so all of a sudden, he sees the general manager ask, hey, how many, how many are you going to sell? One guy says, I got one. How about you? I got one. Jose's only ever sold two cars in one day. It's the most he's ever sold in one day. And then Jose gets asked, and Jose goes, I'm going to sell four, but if I sell four, you got to come to one of my Christmas Eve services at church. And the guy goes, if you sell four cars, I'll do whatever you want me to do. <laughs> so Jose gets on the horn. By noon, he sold two cars. And then he goes in like a five-hour drought. A little after five, he sells his third car. And then he's like, I can't believe this. He's praying at his desk. He's like, man, one more, one more. He's going to come to church. We're going to break records. It's going to be amazing. And then nine minutes before closing time, some fresh prey begins to like move into like the dealership. And Jose begins to like stand up. And as he begins to walk to him, he sees another like salesperson jump on him. And he's like, ah. 
And all of a sudden, he hears the other salesperson go, hey, uh, can I help you? And he hears the guy say, yeah, um, is there a guy named Jose here? And Jose's like, that, that, that's me. And Jose walks over and he goes, hey, you sold a car to a buddy of mine a few years ago. And he just said that you were just super easy to work with. And I've had a Sentra for, for 12 years. And it just, it just died on me today. So I just need the cheapest Sentra. And if, if it's possible, um, not the color purple. I'll, I'll just buy it right now. And all of a sudden, Jose sells the fourth car. They break the record. He texts his boss, we did it. Which one of the nine services and puts out the times do you want to go? And the boss like totally ghosts him, doesn't respond on text. So Jose's like, man, next day shows up to work. General manager sees Jose. He's like, Jose, come on, come with me. Ends up going into his office. And, and, and now the general manager is like, we couldn't have broke the record without you. Four cars. That's unheard of, unreal, well done. And then he pulls out his checkbook and goes, you deserve a bonus. So right now, Jose has conviction, the vision that he heard from God, and the opportunity for some cash. <laughs> and so the general manager is like, how much do you want your bonus to be? And Jose says, I love money, but I, I didn't push so hard for money. We had a deal. So as much as I want the money, I really want you to come to service more. So which one of the nine services can you come to? <laughs> the general manager gets up, slams his fist on the table and goes, I'm not going to your dumb church. And gets up and walks out of his own office. And this is where Jose's genius. He's like, I'm going to wait him out. <laughs> so he just stays there. He just stays put. And he's just praying, going, did I just give up money? God, you better come through. Come on, Lord. You better come through. So then, no joke, all of a sudden, Jose's boss walks back in after 15 minutes. He goes, Jose, you're right. We did have a deal. But here's my deal back to you. If I have to go to your church, then all of these jokers have to go too. <laughs> and on December 21st, the entire Nissan staff and their families, 138 of them showed up to the Christmas Eve service. And, and I, play, I play this out and I, in my mind, I go, it's because one guy heard from God and said yes. I'm telling you, God wants to work with Jose. God wants to use you. And, 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 and I'm, I'm just going to tell you, God wants to work with Ananias God wants to use you. And, and, and what's so beautiful about Ananias is, is, is God tells him, man, this is what I need you to do. He's seen a vision, but, but Ananias, Ananias is so human, right? Because sometimes when we get those promptings or those, those kind of whispers, we're like, God, do you really know what you're talking about? And look what Ananias says, verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man. And all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. You know what he's saying? Hey, I know that the scriptures say that you, God, own like a thousand cattle on the hills. I know that the scriptures say that you hold it all together. But I don't know if you've been watching the news lately. <laughs> Do you know who Saul of Tarsus really is? I mean, he killed Stephen. He came here 150 miles from Jerusalem on horseback. Who does that? And he came here because he wants to shut down what we are trying to do here in Damascus and preach Jesus. 
And he's been given permission and he will beat us or imprison us. He will not stop until we stop proclaiming Christ. You know what he's saying? Really, God? Really? You want me to go there? I I remember when I was in Bethlehem. And if you've never been to Bethlehem, Bethlehem is actually in Palestinian territory. And there is a massive wall that separates Israel from Palestine. A lot of tension. And I was leading a peacemaking trip from Southern California, about 20 of us. And one night, I was staying in this hotel in Bethlehem, but the Wi-Fi went down. And so I looked on my phone. I was trying to FaceTime back home to talk to my wife and kids. And I saw that there was free Wi-Fi across the street at a hookah lounge. And so I thought I would just stand outside the hookah lounge and steal free Wi-Fi and, and talk to my family. And so as I'm walking across the street, I look to the side and out of the corner of my eye, I see four Palestinian soldiers in fatigues with massive guns. And I look at the barrier, the security wall separating Israel and Palestine, and there's an Israeli soldier about 100 yards looking down at these four with a gun. And as I'm walking across, I sense God say, go talk to the soldiers, which my response was, no, just get me free Wi-Fi. <laughs> Because you know what I saw? I saw guns. You know what I saw? I saw soldiers. You know what I saw? I saw difference. You know what I thought? It's 1.30 in the morning. You know what I just, I saw with human eyes. But God said, go talk to him. I said, yes, Lord. So I walk up. How do you start a conversation at 1.30 in the morning? I said, okay, guys, beautiful night here in Bethlehem. What's your name? You know? <laughs> I start talking. They ask me my name. I say, my name's Steve. One of them goes, Steve, like my favorite U.S. actor. I'm like, who's that? They're like, Steven Seagal. <laughs> and I, I literally came out of my mouth. I was like, God can use all things for good. And we strike up this conversation. And, and I'm like, okay, where, where do you guys live? And one of them goes, I live in, in like three of them go, we live in Balada. I said, Balada? No way. I said, I'm taking a team to Balada in two days. Now, you got to understand what Balada is. Balada is a UN refugee camp. 37,000 people live here, and it's only 1.3 square miles. Between buildings, you have to walk like this. I mean, it is intense. And so I'm like, hey, would you guys give us a tour? And they're like, yeah, we'd love to. I said, awesome, just don't bring your guns. And they're like, great. So they end up giving us a tour. I, I take this team from Southern California there. It's amazing. We get to the gate to leave. And I, sh- I point to this building right outside the, the Balada's gates. And I'm like, hey, guys, have you ever been there? They're like, no, what is it? I said, it's a church. Like, no, we've, we've never been. You got to understand that the th- these three soldiers, they were n- non-practicing, Palestinian, Arab, Muslims. I mean, you got to come with me. We're going to go to this church. Come with me. Now, we walk into this church, and it's a beautiful church. But what's amazing about this church is down in the basement, there's a well. And you all know that this, what happens at this well. I'll tell you in a second. But they go down to this basement, and there's this well, because in John chapter 4, the scriptures say Jesus had to go to Samaria, which I'd say, no, he didn't, because no rabbi ever went to Samaria. But Jesus had to, because he doesn't see difference. He sees like God sees. And he finds himself at a well talking to a Samaritan woman. And this is that well. And so like, I take these guys who have never been to this building, who don't know who Jesus is, who don't know the gospel of John. And I just start to talk about, what do you desire? I said, I think for some of us, we desire peace. 
Or in Hebrew, it's the word shalom. It's where heaven invades earth. Or in Arabic, it's the word salam. And I'm like, but you know what John 4 teaches us? That true peace comes through this living water, comes through this man, comes through the life and death and resurrection of a man by the name of Jesus. And I said, who, who longs for that? Who longs for, for th this kind of living water? And I start to pull up the water. And it's like this total gospel invitation. And, and the water in this well is so much, it's like everything I dreamed Dasani to taste like. And like I bring this, this well up and I'm like, does anybody want to meet Jesus? You know the first people to come forward? Those three Palestinian soldiers. And we have this moment, like we're praying and all of a sudden one of them gives me like a necklace. One of the other soldiers goes, I have nothing to give you except for my senior picture, which I was like so adorable. And like, <laughs> and, and so like we pray, it's like super moving and, and, then, and then they're gonna leave. I, I remember when I was like a junior high in high school, I, I wanted the superpower to like be able to read people's minds. And then they invented Facebook and I no longer want that. <laughs> but the only redemptive, the only redemptive thing for me about Facebook is I get to stay in contact with these soldiers. I just maybe get to hear about their life, text them a verse. Like, we're just able to stay connected. And, and can I just tell you something? I saw a difference. I was looking for free Wi-Fi. And God was looking to expand heaven. And I'm telling you, friends, everywhere you go is an invitation, an opportunity to join with what God is already up to. And here's the crazy thing. He wants to use you. You, you're a piece of work and he wants to use you. And this is the most beautiful thing. When you get these moments where you get to experience the thrill of God at work in and through you, will you say yes? Will you say yes? And look what, look what God says after Ananias goes, man, you've been watching the news, God? The Lord, verse 15, said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I love this. Ananias shows up. And you got to imagine, Saul had been there three days, the scriptures will tell us in another passage, hadn't eaten. He's probably replaying all the things that he had done wrong, wondering, why would Ananias even come? Why would he even show up? I remember recently, I, I typically have interns and they travel with me and I have a 21-year-old intern. I got a 25, 26-year-old intern and, and, and we, we were in Southern California and we were living in Illinois at the time. Go to, go to Southern California. We're going to do some preaching for a week and uh, we had a day off and so we went to In-N-Out where heaven descends in burgerly form and we taste the Shekinah glory and it's amazing. And, and so... We go there, and then from there, we're going to go to Barnes & Noble, and I'm like, hey, man, I'll buy a book, and, and then from there, we'll go to the beach, and we'll sit and just have a great Sabbath, and so we were walking through the leadership section, walking through the business section, walking through the Christian living section, and then my 21-year-old intern like, goes to another aisle, and I hear him after a few seconds say, excuse me, have you found what you're looking for? And I hear this woman say, no, and then he says, what are you looking for? And she says, a book on grieving. And he goes, 
what are you grieving? And she says, well, my 22-year-old son just passed. And he's like, oh, man, this is way outside my pay grade. And so he goes, I don't know what to tell you, but I, I have a friend who might know. He comes back to me, and he goes, what do I do? So we walk over there, and we end up having this conversation. There's this amazing book by September Vaudry called The Colors of Goodbye. She writes about losing her daughter. And so we talk about this book. We're looking for it. We go to the Christian living section. We're looking for it. We can't find it. We tell her, just go on Amazon and buy it. It's probably cheaper anyway. And we have a moment of just praying for her. And my 21-year-old intern opens it up, starts to pray for her. My other intern has gone mute. He's usually talking, but he's not talking. And so I pray and I close out the prayer and I say, amen. And right when I say, amen, the quiet mute intern goes, there it is. And I'm like, what? The book. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, the book you were looking for, it's right there. And I'm like, you prayed with your eyes open. He goes, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so we like go on. And we find the books. It's in the wrong religion, the wrong section, totally out of alphabetical order. And all of a sudden, we pull it out and we hand it to her. You know what the woman says? Breaks down crying. She goes, I feel as if God sees me. Sees me in my pain. And I just said, he does. He's with you and he's for you. And then we walk out. And as we're walking out, I look at my 21-year-old intern. I'm like, hey, man, how did you know to ask that woman that question? And he's like, I just walked in the aisle, and I just saw that she was looking in the grieving section. And I just thought, why not ask? Have you found what you're looking for? And I was like, that is genius. I'm going to start a ministry <laughs> at Barnes & Noble, and we're going to do something subversive and only God. And I just go, man, I play this out. And I go, a 21-year-old intern was aware. A car salesman was aware. Ananias was aware. I mean, and they all said yes. And look what God did. I'm telling you, friends, if you say yes, look what God can do. It continues on. It says this. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And you got to understand, I don't think Ananias had a clue as to who Paul would become. But when we look at the New Testament, Saul becomes Paul, and he writes the majority of the New Testament, the theology of Romans, learning about how to have joy in Philippians, the supremacy of Christ in Colossians, Fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. I mean, you read 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. This all came from Paul, God working in and through him. And here's my question when I read just those few verses is what if Ananias said, no, I won't go? Would we have those books? Would someone have actually gone to Paul? Would Paul have ever been rescued and unleashed to do the kingdom good that he did? And then I started thinking about this. God is here. And God is stirring. And God is moving. And God is up to something. And then I started thinking, you know what's so amazing? Is God actually decides to use us. But what if we say no? Then God goes to someone else. And what if that person says no? And then God goes to somebody else, and that person says no. And God goes to someone else, and that person says no. And you know what happens? The enemy 
is able to keep a stronghold on a city or on a school and marriages begin to break down and all of a sudden, little by little, cities, counties, states, country, the world ends up not being everything God dreamed it to be and heaven doesn't grow like heaven wants to grow. It gets smaller. And you know what? I believe every day God is looking to use you. That God wants to use you. Will you say yes? I want to tell you just from from the life of Ananias, how I believe you can live an invitation life, how you can be the kind of person who's constantly inviting people into the greatest story ever told. And, And how to do it, there's four keys, pretty simple. You can write this down, you can memorize it. It's pretty simple. It's just live, show up, relate, and risk. Live, show up, relate, and risk. And if you want to live an invitational life, it starts with you living deep with Jesus. You have to be poured into. You have to, like Ananias, he was this Talmudim, high desire, high devotion to live as Jesus lived. Discipleship is just simple. It's living as if Jesus were in control of your life control of your decision-making, control of your choices. And when you live like that, changes it. Second, you show up with expectation. Every environment, every room, boardroom, living room, family room, your neighbor's house, every room you enter in, you show up with expectancy because you know God's already there. And if God's already there, then God's up to something and you have the choice and the privilege to join with him and what he's up to. I have a friend, she, uh, she has the spiritual gift of making pies. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you eat one little bite and you, you can't stop. And she, she has this gift of baking. It is, a, it is a gift. And she started driving down her street. And she started realizing she didn't know her neighbors. And as she drove down the street, she just said, God, is there a family, a house, that just needs a little bit of encouragement. And then she said, I'm gonna make them a pie. I'm just gonna show up. And so she knocked on the door. It's this house that somehow God had put on her heart, knocked on the door and she's like, hey, I've lived in the neighborhood 15 years. I realized I just don't know you. And I just decided to make you a pie, which probably seemed weird at first until someone had the courage to taste it. And they're like, this woman's amazing. And then, and then she started, because she, people started hearing about this, she started like book clubs. And then she started inviting these families to church. And people started getting saved. People started getting baptized. People started getting involved. And all of a sudden, her street and her neighborhood became this compelling force for good. And because she showed up with expectancy, God, what do you want to do on my street? When you live deep with Jesus, you show up with expectancy. Then you look to build relationships. And friends, you got to understand, this has always ever only been about people. And in the next reality, you can't take your title, you can't take your money, you can't take your boat, you can't take your house, you can't take your shoes, you can only take people. And when you build these kinds of relationships and you align your heart and you align your life with God's heartbeat for humanity, it's a game changer. Live, show up, relate, and then lastly, you get willing to risk it all. Risk it all for what matters most. Willing to risk and help someone understand who Christ is. And RISK became this acronym, this acronym that my family, uh, the church I served at, we used to say on a regular basis. And I I just want to give this to you. 
And I hope that you'll just grab hold of this. Maybe it might challenge you. Maybe it might be something that just God uses um, to maybe just shake you in, in, in a unique way. Um, but hopefully this will do something for you. Now, RISC is this acronym. The R is rescued people, rescue people. Rescued people, rescue people. I remember for my 10-year anniversary, I had saved up for a couple of years, and I took my wife to Hawaii. I'd never been to Hawaii before. And we stayed in Maui in this place called Napili Point, and we were on this condo on the point and on this massive cliff. And to, to kind of get to the water, you had to go through like three condo associations, and then you could enter into the cove, and the cove was awesome. I mean, you, you, when it was low tide, you could, you could just put goggles on and the water maybe be up to your waist. And then you could just like look down and, you know, you could just see Finding Nemo. It was like unbelievable. So beautiful. But every once in a while, there'd be a sea change and high tide would come in. And I loved it because big waves would come in this cove and I would just paddle and surf and loved it. One day, like 5, 6 p.m., I'm just grilling out. Whales are breaching, which is always strange. And like, we're just like, we're just like kind of flipping burgers. And all of a sudden, I hear some woman scream, help! And I look out and I start to see waves are coming towards the cove. And I realize this woman can't swim. I don't know what came over me. It's like the spirit of David Hasselhoff, but I just took off running. (laughs) And I run from the top of this cliff. I jump over one condo association fence, go to another one, jump over another one, jump over. And I'm just running. And all I'm thinking about is my friends who were lifeguards in Newport and, and, and Huntington Beach. And when they would go before their posts, they would come together and pray. And they'd just say, not on our watch. No one dies on our watch. And that was my prayer. And I remember jumping into the water. And I'm like, not on my watch. I'm just going. I'm going. I'm pushing. I'm pushing. I get to this woman. I put her on my back. I bring her in. She's not really breathing. And I, I, like, I bring her down to the, the, the sand and the shore. And I see her eight-year-old son and 11-year-old daughter. And they're weeping. And I'm just like praying, like, please, God, please, God, please, God. She ends up like coughing up all of this water. She ends up starting to breathe again. We're able to get her back. And I exhale, the biggest exhale of my life, like, and I walk away, grab my shirt. I put my shirt on as I'm walking away. Random dude with a Corona is like, bro. (laughs) I'm just like, thanks, man. And I'm like, just walking. And then and then I look, up at the, I look up at the cliff, and I look at all the condos, and I see 40 to 50 people just standing there like this, just watching. And in this moment, this is what I felt almost God's conviction. God said, you ran like a crazy person for a woman that you don't even know. And yet, in the city where you live, there are so many people that you have actual relationships with who are drowning in addiction, drowning in their marriage, drowning in their finances, drowning in anxiety, drowning in doubt, drowning in faith. And who are you? Running after them? Or are you one of them? <laughs> and I just broke down. Because honestly, like, I just was watching people drown. They'll figure it out. If they need help, they'll ask for help. And then all of a sudden, like, God just got me. 
I walk back into my condo and I grab my Bible and my wife's talking to me and I, I'm like, I'm just trying to engage and, and the next morning I wake up and I just start going through the gospels and I start journaling and I just start studying like, oh my goodness, you know what ended up happening? All of the grace that God gave to me, I kept for me. And then like, I started thinking about my father-in-law, such a good man. He, he, he decided to like build this birdhouse, super modern, loved it. It's amazing. We put it up in our backyard. It's beautiful. And, and we get a whole bunch of bird seed and we put it in this like bucket. And I'm like telling my son as we put it up there, okay, awesome. We're going to put a little bit of bird seed up in the birdhouse. It's going to be amazing because bird is then going to see bird seed and then bird's going to move into birdhouse and then bird's going to pay rent. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> And I look back at my son, and this is what my son is doing. And my son is so unique. I mean, he, he, he knows stuff about animals and creatures. He, he, he communicates his love with the exchange of, like, animal facts. And he's just walking through the backyard going, here you go, bird. Here you go. You are welcome here. Anything that you want, it is yours. And I'm like, dude, dude, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just letting them know they can come. They're welcome here. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand, man. We got a bird house, bird scene, bird moves in, bird pays rent. That's how it works. And I just watched him. He goes, no. And as he's doing this, it was as if God was just telling me, this is how you ought to live every day of your life, throwing out seeds of grace in every conversation. Like, do you guys know how awesome your church is? I don't even work here, but like, you guys have an amazing church. Like, you're like, hey, if you're at Starbucks and someone starts having a conversation and you're like, hey, have you ever heard of Project Bless? You know what Project Bless is? It's so awesome. We actually go into neighborhoods and like, we're all about blessing people. And they're like, really? Yeah, you should join us sometime. Well, I don't go to your church. It's okay. Come, come, let's, let's go bless some people. Oh yeah, awesome. You don't have a church? Have you ever heard heard of the book Zechariah? No. Yeah, neither have I, but it's awesome. And we're going to do a four-week series. Like all of a sudden, if you lived your life just throwing out seeds, you know what? true though? I think for so many of us, this is going to be an ancient reference, but do you remember the show Andy Griffith Show? Okay, remember there was a guy named Barney Fife? And Barney Fife had one bullet and he kept it right here. And every day he'd be like, Andy, can I use the bullet? Like he just, he always wanted to. And every moment, like he'd like, he'd stumble and he'd just get like, okay, here we go. I can use my bullet. And like, okay, here it is. And, and sometimes this is what you all do. You find yourself like in a moment where God wants to use you and somehow you become a nine syllable nerd. And you're like, okay, okay, here's my chance, here's my chance. Do you, and then you're like, do you know what eschatological realism is? And they're like, what are you talking about? And, and, and all of a sudden, you lose just being human and winsome and real, and you start becoming seminary professor. And, and then it's like, you get so nervous, and you just chuck it at someone, and you end up walking away. And literally, like, what if we lived our lives just like getting to know people, just throwing out seeds of grace? Dallas Willard, an amazing, amazing theologian, says, Saints ought to burn through grace faster than sinners ever could. Amen. When you have been blessed and you have been forgiven 
and you understand the power of the cross and what Jesus has done for you, you go, I can't keep this for myself. I got to give it away. And I think some of us, we have created a dam with our grace and it just has stopped with us and it never was meant to be. Give it away. Rescue people, rescue people. Now, here's the thing. I, invitational fails. When you start to throw out seeds and you start to make invitations, you know what you might hear? No. Which is awesome because it takes you back to junior high when you ask a girl to dance and she's like, no. Which <laughs> is just humiliating. But sometimes I think we're so afraid of hearing the words no that like we literally don't ever throw seeds. And Mark Burnett, he's the guy who created the, the show Survivor or The Voice, he says, every time I pitch a show, I know no is possibility. It is a possibility. But whenever anybody tells me no, you know what I hear? N-O, next opportunity. And I'm going to keep pitching shows. And I kept thinking about that. I'm going to not stop throwing out seeds. I mean, I invited people <laughs> from the hotel today to come to church. I don't know if they're here. Hopefully you are. But like, I don't know. But you just find yourself just throwing out seeds. If someone says no, it's okay. But you know what? What happens is sometimes we care so much about what someone else might say and we end up caring less about God's prompting. And faithful and faith-filled people are people who say, I want to hear God and I want to be someone who says yes. And I don't want to walk out on those opportunities. And it's easy. It's easy for people. It's easy for people to say no. Now I get it. I get it. Some of you might be sitting here going, Steve, you don't understand. I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. That's nice for Pastor Lance and Pastor Brian. Like that, that's not me. But can I just tell you something? Whenever anybody says they don't have a spiritual gift of evangelism, my first response is, what is your spiritual gift? And they usually say hospitality, which I usually then respond with, well, you know what hospitality is? And they say, yeah. And I go, you know what that means? That means you create safe and secure environments for people to feel seen and known and experience the presence of who? Jesus. <laughs> Sounds like evangelism to me. Well, no, no, but you don't understand. I have the gift of mercy. Awesome. You know what mercy is? That means you're the hands and feet of who? Jesus, sounds like evangelism to me. I have the gift of leadership. I have the gift of administration. Do you know every spiritual gift leads to the demonstration and proclamation of who? Jesus, don't use that as an example, as, as an excuse. You have so much that God has given you. Throw out seeds, make invitations. No, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Some of you are sitting here going, Steve, you don't understand. You probably like people. I do most of the time. I do most of the time, unless they're Ohio State fans. Can't stand them, right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Some of you might say, Steve, I'm an introvert. Well, awesome. I'm married to an introvert. And introverts are amazing because you know what they're able to do? With three or four people, they are able to get so deep and real and honest. All I'm asking for you introverts is this. Would you invite one person into your life? Would you make room for one person, maybe two, who's doubting questioning post-church or has or who is far from God see them know them what might God do and for some of you are like I'm extroverted I'm good at this yeah you're good at like bobbing the surface you go from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship you're like a cheap first date like you just keep going just keep going keep going and I love it I love it because but here's the thing oftentimes you don't ever trust the capital and relationship 
potential that you have. And all I'm saying is with those relationships that you've been able to kind of meet, use the trust that you've built and make an invitation. But here's the thing. When God prompts, if you say yes, they still might say no. But Mike Trout, Anaheim Angels of Los Angeles, which is the most bizarre name ever. But Anaheim Angels, dude signs a $360 million contract. He gets paid so much money to get on base 29% of the time. He does not get on base every single time. You will not be perfect when you make invitations. But again, it's not about their response. It's, it's about your response to the one who's whispering and prompting you. Will you say yes? And here's the thing is for us, the church I started in Southern California, we started to celebrate with our staff, with our volunteers, and with our congregation. Anytime we went for it, made it we thought we heard God, and we, we, we went for it, and we, told, we were told no. We just said, we're going to celebrate. We're going to call them invitational fails. And so one day I said, hey, uh, anyone got an invitational fail? And this guy raises his hand, super introvert, super business, very successful, and he's the first one. And I was like, dude, what is it? And he goes, well, I've been praying for my boss and I was in my office and I was doing TPS reports, which I thought was funny. And he's like, he's like typing away. And all of a sudden my boss comes in and I was like, I had just been praying for him. I felt like God just prompt me, go for it. And so I, I asked my boss, Hey man, what do you do on Sundays? And the boss says, Oh, I watch football. And he's like, cool. Because do you want to go to church with me? And the boss goes, no. And he just walked away. And the whole church was like, you went for it, Tony. And we just cheered because he heard and he responded. And we don't know what God's going to do. But I want to be the kind of person. I want you to be the kind of person. When God prompts, go for it. Say yes, because rescue people, rescue people. Now I, invitational fails, now S, seven days. And here's my big challenge for you. I want you to have an only God story every seven days. It's fascinating to me. Sometimes I'll sit with Christians and I'll be like, hey, tell me, like, tell me how God's moving. And you know what they'll say? Well, in 1987, God did the most amazing thing. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, tell me, tell me like an, another story. In 1993, amazing. And I'm like, well, but what about God moving in your life now? Yeah, not so much, but like 94 was awesome. And so I'm like, why are you telling stories from decades ago? Either you're not as expectant or dependent as you once were, or you've stopped believing that God is moving. And I'm telling you, if you challenge yourself to have an only God story every seven days, that means in one year, you'll have 52. That means in five years, you'll have 260. That means in 10 years, you will have 520 only God stories. I did go to college and you have, you can have this faith filled life. And friends, I, I want that for you. I want you to be able to have this kind of faith. So when you face the storms or the temptations of the enemy, you know, doesn't compare to what God can do and God wants to do and God will do. You just got to be willing to say yes. I'll tell you my only God story because this, this is like the only time I can use it because tomorrow it will be eight days and I can't use it. I try, I try to do this when I teach. But last week, I was in Carmel, Indiana, and after I teach, um, I decide to, to go to uh, Coldstone, <laughs> like you do, and I just, uh, I'm in line, and I, I, you got to understand, you have something that makes you quirky and bizarre, 
Um, for me, it's sports. And I, I, I challenge myself, if I see someone who's wearing a, some kind of sports outfit, I engage with them. My wife can't stand it when we're in a restaurant or in an airport. I will just, I will say something to someone. And so we're in line and all of a sudden I see two six foot 10 and 11 people, a woman and a guy, and they are wearing Notre Dame gear. And so I'm like, I gotta, I gotta do something. So I stand there in line, they're right in front of me. And you know what I do? I start to sing the Michigan fight song because I'm the biggest Michigan fan on the planet. And I'm just looking at them. Hail to the victors, valiant. Hail to the conquering heroes. Hail, hail. And I just start singing this. And they're looking at me. And then I go, oh, I'm sorry. Can you just help me for one second? They're like, yeah. I said, you, you two, you look like you are people of upstanding character and values, people of integrity. So help me understand how you can be a fan of Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> I literally do this all the time. Don't even get me started with Alabama or like OSU. And like, and I just started engaging with them. We start joking, going back and forth, banter back and forth. And then it doesn't lead to me inviting them to church. It didn't get there. And I was hoping, but I, I, it, it just would have felt forced. So I didn't do it. I get up the next morning. I teach. After the 9 a.m. service, I walk down off stage. I'm, there's a little bit of a line talking to people. And then all of a sudden, I see two six foot 11 people and they're like, hey, do you remember us? And I'm like, Coldstone. And they're like, we haven't been to church in four years. And all of a sudden, we just decided to come to this church this morning. And then you get up and all we can think about is Michigan fight song guy. <laughs> and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So we're down front what are we supposed to do? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, well, you came to the right place. And we start having this conversation. Then it goes to Instagram. And we're like, we're like totally just engaging. And like all of a sudden, I don't know what God's going to do. But somehow this little connection created this moment and this opportunity for them to feel seen and known by God who's madly in love with them. Do you have an only God story? And challenge yourself, not from 97 or 2008. Challenge yourself. Give me an only God story for this coming week. Push me, stretch me. Only God, give me an only God story. And then K, this is your knees in prayer. Every move of God starts when people are on their knees in prayer, praying for boldness. You see it in the book of Acts, praying for moments where they can lean in, praying, 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 praying. And when this church begins to pray that God would use them in Roseville and Rockland and El Dorado Hills and all throughout Sacramento, I mean, God wants to do that kind of thing. And your eyes and your ears and your heart opens up to what God is already up to. You got to learn how to pray. When I was in college, I drove uh, a 1983 Ford Country Squire station wagon with the woody paneling. It, it looked like this. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's right. That's right. When you drive this car, that means you don't have a date in college. This car was given to me. And I remember one day driving home from church and I felt like God say, I gave you this car. Why do you go to church by yourself? And I look at all the seats in the car. I just felt like I'm supposed to name them and pray for them. And I worked at two bars. I worked at Pottery Barn, which I got a good deal on a Nantucket console. I was playing basketball at Cal State. I knew people who were far from God, but I wasn't throwing seeds. So I started to pray. The most I ever got that car filled was with eight people that I took to church. But 
A number of years later, I become a junior high pastor. Our church is about 100 or so junior high students, this little ministry, and I, it was awesome. And I love it about junior high students is if you teach them from the Bible, you tell them a story that moves them, you challenge them with a biblical vision, they will rise to the occasion every single time. And we had a big event coming in two weeks, and so I just told them about this car, told them about God speaking to me, told them about God's heartbeat for their friends. And I said, hey, if your mom drives a Volvo, that's a gift from God. You have empty seats, name them, pray over them. If your dad drives a truck, you're lucky. That's one empty seat. Name it, pray for it. If your dad drives a minivan, sorry, bro. <laughs> pray, name, go for it. And I kid you not, two weeks later, our youth ministry went from like 100 to over 600 because of this event. And I stood outside and I watched, I watched 96% of the seats being filled. And the last car that com comes up is like a 1980-something Ford Country Squire station wagon. The dad gets out, goes to the very far back, opens it up, and 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. It's not legal right now. 13, 14, 15, 16 students all come out the back. The last one's got a beehive going due east, and he looks at me and goes, it's the miracle of a station wagon, and rolls in. <laughs> and within six months, within six months, Eight of these 16 have given their life to Jesus, are getting baptized. And these eight, plus the one with the beehive going due east, they end up going onto their junior high campus. You know what they pray for? For an uprising. And these nine begin to see God move in mighty ways. And nine becomes 50. Then 50 end up moving to this high school in Grand Rapids. And they're like, we're going to do something. We are going. We have been called. We are not freshmen. We are going to lead and transform the culture of this school. And they do. And I bring it all the way back because one kid with the beehive going due east decided to name the seats to pray over them and beg God for boldness. If a junior high student can do it, so can you. If a car salesman can do it, so can you. If a woman who makes pies can do it, so can you. If someone in the boardroom can do it, so can you. If Ananias can do it, so can you. So can you. I would not be here. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. But when I was in seventh grade, I met two juniors in high school that I absolutely adored. There's the first Jesus people I ever saw. Their names were Dominic and Nathan, but they went by the name Dominate, which is awesome. <laughs> and and Dominic, Dominic came up to me one day after playing basketball, and he said, hey, Carter, do you want to learn how to dominate life? The greatest question anybody ever asked me. And I kid you not, man, for six, seven months, they discipled me. And I, I remember just kind of at a service, I'd ride my bike to church. I was at a service one day and the pastor got up and invited his people to know Jesus. I wanted to know. I wanted what Dominic and Nathan had. And he invited people to come forward to get baptized. And I was like, I don't know what even that means. They got a hot tub on stage. I don't know what that means. <laughs> and I looked down at my shirt and my shirt just said, just do it. And I was like, okay. And I came forward. And then all of a sudden, like, I get baptized. And Dominic and Nathan, they see me. You know what they say to me? Now it's time for you to go after your parents. My senior year of high school, got to baptize my mom. My sophomore year of college, on my 19th birthday, got to baptize my dad. And all of a sudden, I realized rescued people rescue people. And you got to throw out seeds. And sure, people might say no, but man, be committed to hearing the voice of God. Because God wants to give you only God's stories. Be people who pray. And friends, I'm telling you, I believe God wants to do something here at Bridgeway. I'm not on staff here, but I see it. 
I see it. You have an amazing community. Now it's time for you to take what you've learned from Pastor Lance, Pastor Brian, the other great communicators here and say, you know what? I know God's word. I'm filled with his spirit. Let's go make a holy ruckus in Roseville and Rockland and El Dorado Hills. I think that's a city around here, like Auburn, Lincoln, whatever's around here. Let's see what only God can do. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you have a wayward son or daughter. I'm sorry. I don't know if you have a friend who's far from God. And you're like, I don't know how to reach them. We're going to have a prayer team. They'd love to pray with you. But before we go, I just would love to say a prayer that we would be people who don't keep this grace that we've been freely given to ourselves. Let's be the kind of people who create a bridge and create a way for people to encounter the one true God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for what you are doing in this church. Thank you for the life of Ananias. We probably wouldn't even be here if Ananias didn't go. Because you used Saul. He became Paul, and he went after the Gentiles, and, and we're Gentiles. He started churches. And you took that message, and it reached us. And so, God, I'm grateful because someone said yes to invite these people here. It might have been a family member decades ago. It might have been a friend recently. But now we get the chance to hear from you and to throw out seeds of grace and to see what only you can do. I pray that you would move with boldness, that you would move with power, that you would move in ways that just surprise these people, that you would take them out of their comfort zone, and that you would bless them and keep them, that you'd be gracious to them, that you would shine your face upon them and grant them peace as they help people learn how to dominate life. And all God's people said, amen. Grace and peace.